May it please the listeners. My name is Rich Schoenstein, and this is Law Brief. This week, I have as my guest Bob Friedman from our Trust and Estates, our T&E department. And Bob is going to talk to us about future care planning for children with special needs. Good afternoon, Bob. How are you doing? I'm good. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. Why don't we start by framing the topic a little bit. When we talk about a children with special needs, what are you putting in that group? We put in that group people who have uh, children who have some disability, may not be totally disabling, but things that may affect their ability to manage their lives and handle everything. The largest part of the group is autism. The birth rate among boys, over around 2% of boys born in 2020 are on the autism spectrum, smaller for girls, but it's one out of every 59 births I have autism. We have a lot of clients where the children have developmental disabilities, a lot of mental illness, a lot of addiction, and particularly these days, addiction is a major problem among uh, out there, and so it's a major problem among children. And we have a lot of people with physical disabilities, some born with them, some who come from injuries, accidents, and things like that. And they all have special needs, and those needs have to be addressed in all of the planning for them. Right. So, well, of course, you know, I'm a parent myself. Whenever you have children, you have to do a lot of planning in all kinds of areas of your life. But now you're talking about a, a more specific group and a, and a different kind of planning, right? You're talking about what, what you need to plan for in a legal sense. Well, it's illegal and and a lifestyle sense as well. It's planning for what that child's future is going to be like. I mean, all par- I'm a parent too. We all have all of those issues. But when your child has some type of disability or some type of special needs, that's all 10 times as difficult because you not only need to plan like we all do for all of our children, but to meet the needs. And some of that's legal and some of it's financial. And a lot of it is more of a lifestyle for that child. What, what would be best for that child's future? Okay, so why don't you start wherever you want with with what kind of specific planning uh, comes along with having a special needs child? Okay, well, one of the first things that you know people are going to end up dealing with with most special needs kids is that you need to immediately deal with educational issues, which means looking perhaps for special schools or special ed programs or special provisions within the school. These days with autism, there are now early intervention programs that go into effect. Child can be three years old and can get special services through looking at education and services like that. And then beyond school, we're looking at everything else. You need to provide right schools and the best schools. You need to find programs, after school programs, camps, programs when the child eventually graduates. You need to look for therapies. If the child has physical, there are certain therapies. Child has autism, there are certain therapies that provide a better chance for the child to be able to cope and live independently and to do things. So you're looking for the therapies. And you're looking for services. But where can I get these services for my child? School is the first place you can look, but you may need to look at other schools. You may need to look at camps. You may need to look at day programs. 
You may need to look at physically accessible programs, Special Olympics. There are all types of things and services that are out there. And because you've got all of that on top of what any other parent has to deal with, it's more difficult. It's more difficult to find all these programs. It's more difficult to evaluate them. And it's more difficult to get into them. And it's also, in most cases, more expensive. People, parents have to pay for all, a lot of this, some of it at least. I would think too, Bob, I mean, that there would be special considerations by the parent as to what would happen if the parent is no longer there. When we meet with the parents, we ask them that, that hard question. If you didn't come home tomorrow from, you know, today from your meeting with me at my when I used to have an office. But if you didn't come home from the office, what would happen with your kid? And usually if it's a mother and father, you know, if neither of you come back, where's the kid going to, who's going to look out for the kid? Who's with the kid now? How's this going to be dealt with? Parents have to plan for the future. They have to for all kids. But in these cases, they particularly need to plan for the future. Who will make sure that the child's okay? Who will make sure the child's getting services? Who will make sure the living arrangements are good? Who will even decide where the child lives? Who will find what services are out there? And um, then, you know, the parents always ask the next question, well, how will the, all of this be paid for as well? Who will do it? What's out there? And how do you pay for it? And once you have the answers to those questions, let's say there's an obvious answer to who would do it. You have to put all of that in place, right? It doesn't happen automatically. You have to have a plan. The cases where there's an obvious answer as to who will do it are very few. The most difficult thing for a parent who's doing the planning is if I'm not there, then who will do it? It may be the other parent, though. The percentage of divorce among parents who have kids with special needs is twice the national divorce rate. And the national divorce rate is not low to begin with. So a substantial number of these families end up with divorces or difficulties within the marriage. And a lot of them are then going to have step-parents. So when you say, who's going to be it? You know, the, the father who's in there may say, well, I'm not married to his mother and she wouldn't be a good person. So it's not very obvious. And if it's not the parent, then who else? The parents have to have a plan. So we start, we do start with the first question. If something happened to you, then who takes over? Once you get the answer to that question, the who takes over question, how do you put it in place? You're going to put it into place with a bunch of legal documents and setting up the finances. And exactly how those are done, part of it's going to depend on who it's going to be. Now, the plan we can do if there's a sibling who would take over and we know the sibling will be handling things, you want to make sure the sibling's got the ability to do everything. The plan we do, if there isn't a family member, there isn't a close friend, you've got to have a bank takeover for money, or you've got to have an agency takeover for care. It's a different plan. But we end up with putting a plan together. We, we deal with issues to start off with, like, all right, you're the child's guardian if the child's under 18. If the child's over 18, you're not a legal guardian. You have some rights as a parent. If something happened to you, who would step in, and how do we make sure they're they empowered to take care of your child? So we look at guardianships. 
We look at setting up financial and legal things to make sure that there are provisions made for the child. When you say financial, do you mean like putting in place something where the funds would go into a trust for the care of the child? Usually, what? yes, that's exactly what we need. And the trust we're talking about, and if anyone has a family in this situation, they'll hear it all the time, is called an SNT, which stands for either Special Needs Trust or Supplemental Needs Trust. The terms are mutually, you can trade in one for the other. And yeah, that's usually the way if the child has money. So we do look at trust. But we also look at what's available in terms of services and what is available to the child that is provided by the government. Parents don't seem to realize, or many times don't realize, that most services that are being provided, you know, education is provided for, everybody has a right to special accommodations, and everybody has a right to a certain level of education. But there also are certain programs that are not educational that provide therapies, that may provide residences, that may provide day programs, And those are out there. So when we look at finances, we say, okay, your child has this issue. There are a lot of programs that will service a child with autism, after-school programs, early intervention programs. And you get your child involved in those programs. And they're going to say, how is that paid for? And we tell the parent, a lot of it is paid for by the government. As a matter of fact, what makes having a disabled child somewhat unique is that a lot of the things that the child's going to need will be paid for by the government if the child's eligible for it. And people don't realize that it's available. And what they also don't realize is a lot of these services are only available if the child is eligible for them. When you say eligible, do you mean, what do you mean? Financially. I see. Child has to meet two parts to that question. Does the child meet the definition of disability for that particular program? Is the particular issue severe enough? Is the autism autism cause any type of developmental disabilities, social problems? You know, the level of the, the special needs is the first one to qualify for programs. And the second is government programs pay, and only if you're financially eligible, The program that pays for most of these is Medicaid, which is New York State's government program, and which is run with Department of Developmental Disabilities. uh, I'm sorry, a department with people with disabilities, used to be called Developmental Disabilities, Office for People with Disabilities, or Office with People with Mental Hygiene Issues. So they're paid for by the government. You meet the standard for having a disability. And you meet the financial standard as well. So we have to go through that. Does the child, what benefit, what programs are out there? How do we apply for them? Does he meet the disability standard? Do they meet the finance standard? And I gather you want to you work to ensure that the financial eligibility continues? Yeah, disabilities don't tend to go away. They can be treated and ameliorated, but they tend to stay. So it's the finances. We want to make sure, is the child eligible now? And oftentimes, by the way, that isn't true. People come to us and say, my child is 22. 
And I've been putting money in his name since he was born. And he's got too much money. I can't get him on the benefits. Or my child's 22 and grandpa just left him $100,000 or even $20,000. I can't get, and we have a problem with benefits. People don't think about that. So we want to make sure the child's currently eligible and go through and make sure. Then you're right. The next question is, we want to make sure since you're going to need the program that nothing happens in the future that will make it more difficult or make the child ineligible. So you really have to take a look at the whole family's financial and inheritance planning. And with a special needs child, I guess like other children, if there isn't a plan and something happens to the parents, I imagine it becomes a matter for the courts? That's a problem. That's where you don't want to be. If they haven't made provisions, the, the courts and the child, something happens to you, the child may need a guardian to protect. If there isn't a parent and the child's over 18, the child will, in many cases, if disability is severe enough, need a guardian. Court picks the guardian. You don't pick the guardian unless you take certain steps. And you don't want the court doing that. It's not like the court's going to say, oh, I'm going to name my, you know, the judge is going to say, I'm going to name my buddy because there'll be big fees. There aren't big fees. But the, the judge may say, I'm going to appoint somebody to do it who has no relationship. So if you don't do it, you're yielding it. And if you yield it to the courts, that's, it's, it is very difficult and risky. You know, our big thing is you have to have a plan and you have to cover all the contingencies. It's, a, it's funny about the courts. You know, it's the same way I think of it in commercial litigation, which is we have the greatest judicial system in the world, but the last thing you want is to have something decided in the courts. You're, you're much better usually in a commercial context in reaching a resolution that's acceptable to both parties. And in this context, you're much better off putting something in place yourself. Not only is it up to the courts, but it's enormously expensive. Another big problem, of course, is once you go off to the courts, you're spending a, a chunk of the uh, whatever the resources are on the judicial proceeding itself. And you don't have access to those resources, so you're probably spending a chunk of your money to get access to the money and then hoping that that money will be used to pay. Otherwise, it's coming out of your own pocket. I mean, that's what we're going to end up telling you got to be a guardian for your brother, and you may have to pay it out of your own pocket. All right. Bob, why don't you tell us a little bit more broadly about your practice, what you do for a living? My practice is a trust in estate practice, which means I do estate administration when people die. I do estate planning. I do tax planning for wealthy individuals. Fortunately, their taxes don't apply to a lot of people these days, so there's less than that. And I do regular planning for you know wills, trusts, and all of those documents. Our group does all of that. Our group does very sophisticated tax planning, everything. Personally, I've been doing the special needs for almost 40 years. I will confess to probably being one of the first in the country. My practice started with elder law issues, issues with parents who become disabled, guardianships, Medicaid, nursing home, and all of those issues. And I've been doing that for 40 years. We also represent a lot of families. We, we do planning for the, the kids, the parents. I've got some down three generations. All right. Well, that sounds like it keeps you busy, keeps you off the street, as we say. We end these episodes with a closing argument, a takeaway on the subject at hand. 
what's a what's a takeaway on the issue of estate care planning for special needs children that you would impart on the listeners? The parents need to sit down and, and come up with a plan. We start ours oftentimes. We say, you know, write what's called a letter of intent. You can find samples. Let me tell you about my kid. Let me tell you what we do for him or for her. And let me tell you what I'm going to need done. And then develop a plan for how to put that into effect. Usually involves an SNT. You know, this is how the person will have it paid for. It involves looking at all of your finances. It involves looking at the family member finances. It involves that making sure that it's in place and all the possibilities. But our, our big pitch is you got to do it. The, the big thing that holds people up is often, who am I going to put in charge? The joke among trust and states attorneys, and particularly those of us who do special needs, is I have a lower left-hand draw, which has client after client, where we've done all the planning, and what's holding them up is something happens to me. Who's going to be the guardian for my kid who's got the issues, or who's going to be the trustee? I can't get by that. And you know, I say, you can't not plan. You have to have a plan in place. You can always change the plan over your lifetime. But if you don't have anything, you leave your child out there and vulnerable. And you, you've been worried about taking care of the child. The one thing you need to do is make a plan. So if something happens to you, that happens. Each child is taken care of. Great advice from someone who's been working in this area a long time. Bob Friedman, thank you for joining us today. And thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you again for listening to Law Brief. Now here's something lawyerly, a disclaimer. We are not your lawyers. We do not have an attorney-client relationship, and this podcast does not constitute legal advice. If you need legal advice, you should contact and engage counsel of your own choosing who can best address your own situation and particular needs. You can find more information about our law firm, me, and many of our guests at our website, www.tartarkrinsky.com. We are a mid-size, full-service firm located in New York City and New Jersey. If you want to contact us for any reason, be it comments, topic ideas, or anything else, you can email us at podcast at tartarkrinsky.com. You can also follow this podcast on iTunes, among other places, and we would very much appreciate it if you rate or review us. I'm Rich Schoenstein, and this was Law Brief. Law Brief.